Today's episode of the Black Flag Podcast is brought to you by Evan Orvath of Solero Commerce. We're coming to you live from the Solero Commerce compound as always. And if you own a small business that accepts debit or credit cards, you got to go check them out. Get in touch with Evan Orvath or contact one of us and we'll get you a free second opinion on your current merchant service provider. Today's episode is also brought to you by PlanBSales.com and CircleBDieCast.com. If you're looking for any diecasts or any other NASCAR memorabilia, be sure to check them out and use promo code BFP123 for free shipping on orders over $20. We would also like to thank Any Racing News and the Graphics Group for their support and, of course, the pals over on Patreon. We cannot thank you guys enough. Without you guys, none of this would be possible. You guys are really what keeps this ship afloat. Head on over to patreon.com slash blackflagpodcast to become a pal today. For just $4.69 a month, you get some monthly giveaways, some merchandise discounts, and of course, some exclusive content. Brad Keselowski is going to be shown the black flag. It's the Black Flag Podcast. Every fucking week. Fuck, I hate my fucking job. Race analysis. Yeah, we're only girls pull hair, so. Maggie forgets it. If they changed the rules and took the champion's provisional away, he wouldn't have been able to race the last two years, so. Uh... Occasional alcohol consumption. Uh, Jimmy Johnson is on pit road because I think he's the leader. And calling people on their shit. It refrains me from not beating the shit out of you right now because you ask me stupid questions. This week's Black Flag Podcast is now in session. Hey, we had some out we beat him so it's all good all right boys and girls this is episode 149 of the black flag podcast as always i am charlie sanborn at c sanborn iii to my right as always is bradley saucer at b sauce 96 on the other side now the, the third man the, the third amigo if you will at this point where the gang's all here uh, Bobby Timmons, you're on the, the other side of the Zoom call. We're, we're trying something a little bit different this week. You are at Bobby Timmons 13, I believe, right? Except for Snapchat, that is Grumpy Cat 48. Uh, yep, but <laughs> my live stream note. <laughs> uh, together we are at Black Flag Pod on all things social media, uh, Instagram, Twitter. You get it. I say it every week. Uh, more importantly, head on over to the Patreon app where you will look up the Black Flag Podcast and get social media uh, extensions with uh, uh, extra content. Uh, all sorts of discounts, cool stuff going on over there. And you have the opportunity to ask questions to somebody if we have someone on the, uh, on the show like we did today. Uh, a little bit later on, you're going to hear from a good pal now after after what we just talked about with him, uh, Bons Atufa, uh, somebody who's uh, very well known throughout the Stafford Motor Speedway community, somebody who's very uh, highly talented when it comes to marketing and things like that. But uh, we are back in the Sorrow Commerce compound, boys. What's going on? Scott Fowler is banned from questions from Patreon. That's two weeks in a row. This this week's way less egregious, um, but we uh, we we can't be having that, Scott. Like, what the fuck? I I didn't even listen back to last week. Did did that actually get bleeped out? Yeah. The whole thing. So and 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 I got a couple complaints of how loud and scary the beep was because no one heard it coming. My mom said she almost drove off the road. Scott <laughs> warned me. I'm like, well. I, he said it after the fact i don't know <laughs> so the the fucking ble- the bleep comes in when i put it into the show at full volume and i always raise it like i put it down really low and then i play it back through my laptop over and over again and i played it through and i'm like ah it's not too bad i'll move it down a little bit played it uh it's, it's not too bad maybe i'll move it up a little bit just like i was playing around thinking it was fine but i personally didn't get any complaints so i feel like it was i fun. just got the one from my mom she's old that shit <laughs> Oh, that's fine. Then. Usually, usually there are a bunch of people that are really upset that their ear blo- eardrums just got blown out at the gym. Or something, but were were we not all born to just piss our mothers off at some point anyway? I mean, I do my. It's not nearly as much now that I'm almost well, almost thirty years old, and 
she just can't really. There's nothing. What's she gonna do? Punish me now? Like, I got my own house. Like, what are you gonna ground me? Well, but well, that, uh, I, I get on her skin. That brings up a good point because, uh, well, happy birthday, fuckhead. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you're uh, almost. 29. You're almost thirty. You're on your last year of your twenties. Uh, I have known you since we were seven. I think eight, because I started racing go karts when I was eight. So that's uh, twenty-one years. Our friendship can drink. Hey! <laughs> it, it it seems as though you might have been the only Bob that had a good day yesterday, though. I know it. Um, rest in peace, Bob Saget. You know, uh, everyone knows him as the dad from Full House. Uh, or the host of America's Funniest Home Videos. He was a fucking hilarious comedian. And his style of comedy does, does not coincide with dad from Full House or host of America's Funniest Home Videos. Like, he was a raunchy motherfucker. I was going to say, he he was on par with like George, like George Garland. Like, yeah, just yeah. shit out, out of nowhere. Just obnoxious. I think he would have fit in with us. Pretty, pretty oh, good. absolutely. Yeah. Andy Andy Jankowiak or not Andy Jankowiak? Holy fuck! Andy Anthony Jeselnik. I was gonna try to. <laughs> it is a racing podcast. So, well, we got it. I wanted to bring that up as well. Allentown happened, but I do have three or four notes that we we want to touch on. But we also do want to go watch the Chili Bowl. So I wanted to get through this pretty quickly. But I got it on right now. So if you see me like my eyes wander away from the screen and then I make a facial expression like I just did a minute ago because some dude just biffed. Um, because I'm watching it already. So I, I did mean to say Anthony Jesselnick. I was talking to someone yesterday about both of those two humans, but Anthony Jesselnick, if he was the uh, TV like sitcom dad, that is kind of the style that Bob Saget was in comedy, which it's it's hilarious to to listen to and watch, but you just don't expect it from someone that was so popular with like kids and shit. Um, yeah. But Real, real bad day for Bob's yesterday. Uh, that that Bobby Tumbleston fellow got DQ'd in his uh, street stonk race as well. But um, yep. not not a great not a great beginning to the year for uh, for you know everyone's favorite TV shows like show stars. You know, like if, if if next week Tim Allen dies, I think we should all start running in the other direction. If Tim if Tim Allen dies, that's going to be a tough one for me. Uh, you know, the whole home improvement series that was something that my dad and I watched all the time when I was younger. That's where the name Manchild came from, from my dad. You know, that that was forever and always my fucking nickname until I was an adult like three weeks ago. So uh, no, that's uh, that would be tough. I mean, that's that's fucking Santa Claus. Yeah. 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 Christmas. <laughs> never was, I never got into the Tim Allen shows. I, I mean, I obviously knew what it was and watched it, but I never really. But uh, I did like Full House. I was a big Nick at Night kid. Watched a lot of Nick at Night shows. Liked America's Funniest Home Videos. That was viral videos before viral videos were a thing. Um, that was a very funny show. But the problem is, all I can think about is that goddamn Tourette's guy from oh. YouTube. Now, Bob Saget! <laughs> all, <laughs> I, all I can think about, which is so bad to say, but it's, it's how my brain works. You guys get it. So, yeah, no, uh, shout out everybody for the love on my birthday. Uh, appreciate it. It's typically just another day, but having a bunch of friends wish me happy birthday definitely makes it better. So that was, that was cool. I worked on my race car all day, just how I wanted it to be left alone in the garage. So I, I feel day. like uh, Scott Fowler made another appearance and saying something absolutely absurd um, in, in our, in our group chat there. Uh, so it, it, it seemed like a good day for you. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, it's typically just another day. Um, I don't like to do anything extravagant. 
Got to go to Derek Nealon's house Saturday night. Like I said, I was going to do last week's show. That was a lot of fun. He was a good time. So we uh, made sure to start minute one of year 29 or uh, year 30, I guess. Minute one, I was hammered. So let's <laughs> get up right where we left off. So, um, yeah, what'd you guys do this weekend? I know Brad and I went to the Augusta Car Show Friday night. Yeah, you guys went Friday. I had to work until like 6.15, 6.30. So by the time I came home, washed my balls and drove an hour, I would have been there for 10 minutes and then ate. So uh, I stayed home Friday night, but you guys went up, made the trek out. Looks like you had a good time. And then I went up Saturday. Uh, a lot of gorgeous race cars this year. I mean, the Steve Perry, that whole, that whole team there, I mean, him and Debbie, they put so much effort into uh, trying to rally the, you know, the entire motorsports community, whether it's uh, circle track cars between Oxford star. We had Wiscasset represented. There was a lot of drag stuff there too. Uh, Lee USA Speedway, of course. I mean, you, you had everything from late models to super modifieds to, to go-karts to shit boxes to everything. And it, it's, it's always a good time to go up there. It's, it's like the first time of the year, really, after you've all you know quit racing for the year and, and you haven't seen each other for you know a month or two. It's, it's the perfect time to go and catch up with all your pals that Maybe you don't necessarily get to see every day. So uh, I think one of, one of my favorite cars was for sure Connor McDougal's uh, by a long shot. Yeah, it's definitely a social event. Oh, hi, Millie. Millie's going to make her Black Flag podcast debut. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a social event because uh, with Facebook and all that nonsense nowadays, like it kind of ruins the show aspect. You see everybody's cars because they post them on the internet as soon as they unload them. So you're not like the shock factor of seeing a, someone's car isn't really there, but um bradley rusty and i drove up uh rusty's friend thick and megan met us there obviously plenty of pals already there we were there for a while and we made one lap around and it was one long slow lap because we got hung up at a few booths for quite a long time um lee speedway got some cool shit coming up got some real cool shit um i don't know obviously they post their schedule so you can see that there was some other shit that joe talked about that I don't know if we should disclose or not that he wants to do in the future, which if that does happen would be badass. but uh, definitely looking forward to going there a couple times with my own cars, um, a few times with you guys for, for other events. Um, you know, that is the racetrack that has our, our name on their billboard. So of course it's, it might as well be an advertisement, but uh, Lee Speedway, cool shit um, coming up there. Talked to Joe for a while. We hung out at uh, Greg Emerson's booth, my new, well, my old, my same helmet. It's got a new wrap on it um they sell beer at augusta now that's new so we took full advantage of that i'm sure that shocks everybody well full advantage so so full advantage that we had two in our back pocket they called last call at like six o'clock so naturally we go and we get one to drink one to hold uh, on the in the on deck circle uh a couple for the sweatshirt pocket and two for the back of our jeans um and as we proceeded to wander around and and uh, wander is a very aggressive word for it because like Bob said, we did make one lap and it wasn't even necessarily a lap. Uh, we kind of went straight into the beer tent, stood with at the night owl creations booth for quite some time, stood at the Lee booth and kind of ended it at the elevate design car. So um, it should be somewhat illegal to put Connor McDougall and Wyatt Alexander's cars right next to each other because um, it was, those were two very sexy looking race cars. And I almost tripped over my uh, enormous penis um the minute that i walked by both of those but um <laughs> yeah but that was uh that was a, it was cool to it was so cool the first night that i went back the second night uh, i had enough fun at the 99 with all of our friends like uh charlie just mentioned people that you don't see for months at a time when it comes to the off season and 
Uh, all the same people were going back to the 99 the next night. So I went up and actually made my way around the whole show this time. And uh, then, then proceeded to not get home till 4.30 a.m. So I uh, had, had quite a bit of fun. Yeah. I, I stayed uh, open extra late, huh? I, 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 I had, uh, after we had done the 99, we'd, we'd gone back to the Fairfield or whatever and hung out in the lobby with some people. And I call it quits around one o'clock something like that I, I drove home and bradley calls me like 4 a.m he's like hey i'm on my way can you just make sure the door's unlocked well i go down and i i unlock the deadbolt and i don't even think about the fucking regular lock on the bottom i guess so because he gets back home and he sees me the next morning he's like hey if you if you see some footprints coming up to the, the bathroom window just just don't worry about it i was like the fuck are you talking about like i got up at 4 a.m unlock the door he's like no nah, it was locked i was like well then why the fuck did i get up then <laughs> so i guess uh, bradley had to break into the house yeah my back's been a little sore ever <laughs> since took a little tumble by the by the by the toilet but uh we're all right we live to see another day so and it's such a prototypical us operation <laughs> yeah i mean like i i meant well i got up i was like oh fuck that that would have to be out in the cold like i got up i was like yeah no, no problem like took the phone call unlocked the door went back to bed didn't think anything of it see him the next day and i i would have been pretty cunty if i were him and he i i wasn't even mad but for the sake of it that this will be my because i don't <laughs> does that grind your gears that does you it, it, i wasn't even mad and i like i not that i expected it but i was more i was happier because i knew i figured that the i racing room window would be open the problem is if you open that you have 114 trophies to move out of the way <laughs> before you can even think about climbing through the window so I tried that one first and I'm like, well, that's locked. So now I have one more option to get into the house. And to my you know, pleasure, the bathroom window was was unlocked and slidable. So uh, much easier to, to jump through that one with a chair. Um, the other one would have been very messy, very loud. And Charlie probably wouldn't have as many go-kart trophies. So <laughs> that's but that, what but, he cares about those anyway. <laughs> for the for the sake for the sake of the segment, this will be my grind my gears. So it, 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 I guess we're gonna head right into that. This week's grind my gears is brought to you by Williams Race Gears, where you get NASCAR quality gears and transmissions new or rebuilt right here in New England. The only gears that should be grinding are in this segment. Get your shift together. Choose Williams Race Gears. So uh, Bradley's gears are grinding because um, well, I fucked up. Uh, You're a terrible landlord. <laughs> <laughs> That's on me. That's on. <laughs> Uh, I think my grinds my gears is whoever the the fuckhead is that, that went into Star Speedway instead of blowing donuts. Uh, it also kind of boils into the the weapon of the week. I mean, Bobby Weber's mother literally lives there. Like that's someone's home. Like that's just not okay. Um, I mean, we've all we've all had fun in, in you know big open snowy parking lots and things like that, but uh, usually not doing Brodies around someone's house. So. Uh, yeah, like, and no one lives at Hannaford or Walmart, so you can go out behind those giant places and do that shit, and you might get in trouble, but you're not bothering anybody. The lady is, she fucking lives there, dude. Like, what are we doing? Like, that's 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 her yard. Like, that's that's fucked up. Uh, that type of shit always kind of pisses me off because, I mean, we we all do dumb shit. Like, that's the po- kind of the point of what this show is. That's part of the brand, I guess. But like, it's usually harmless. Like, we're not, we're not out trying to fucking destroy shit. Like, we're not out trying to fucking be a nuisance to, uh, well, uh, okay, how do I rephrase that? Uh, I'm not trying to, you know, intentionally fuck something up. So uh, that type of shit always grinds my gears. Yeah, uh, My gears were ground, and uh, then they got fixed before we started recording. Uh, my original, I wrote it down when I first read about this, was whoever the fuck came up with the rule that 
you can't speak on behalf of somebody who's passed away that is inducted into the NASCAR Hall of Fame. So they tried to make it. So basically, Julie Stefanik, Mike's wife, who was an absolute staple to his success in his racing career, and obviously uh, his wife, pretty big part of his life, had written a speech posthumously um, for Mike's induction into the NASCAR Hall of Fame upcoming. And they weren't going to let her speak. And that's it. I was like, that's fucking bullshit. And I was going to grind my gears. But she put in a post today, um, shouted out Dale Jr., Freddie Kraft, among others. Um, they did, NASCAR did wake up and said, you know, well, this is probably a bad look. And they're going to allow her to speak uh, on behalf of Mike and his induction in the NASCAR Hall of Fame. So uh, my gears were grinding. They're not now. Shout out Williams uh, Transmissions for Fixing. That, that was brought to you by Williams Race Gears. Uh, Williams Race Gears. Sorry, not Transmissions. Presented that segment for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I haven't got our hat. Not mad. Not just disappointed that we haven't got our hats yet. Yeah, yeah, not not mad, just pissed. Uh no, I don't I don't understand. Like that's also like a new thing that they just tried to come up with for no reason. Yeah. Like Yeah, like I don't really we trying to save time. I don't like I don't Wendell Scott's family had they all inducted him. Like the it, it's I just don't understand why very very short-sighted and obviously they must have looked and went, "Oh fuck, this looks bad." Well, unless they're going <laughs> to give they did away with that. Unless they're going to give Jail Jr, you know, 45 minutes to speak, which I mean, he's got some shit to say, but I mean, all of these people, they've, they've, this is the pinnacle of their careers and success and their entire body of work. Like if they're not around to say it, somebody was there to help them. And, and obviously Mike's wife, you know, was, was a crucial integral part of that. Like let the lady speak, you know, for her, for her husband, who's, who's not able to do so like that, the, the thought process just doesn't make any sense. And it just, it almost kind of drives home even more so the disconnect that NASCAR seemingly has with, you know, the short track routes and the people that who help build what they have on Sundays. I mean, the guy won Bush North and NASCAR Featherlight Modified Championship in the same season. That's two different top level. So say NASCAR uh, Xfinity and Truck is one, two, three. Bush North and Modified is four and five. Guy won both championships in the same fucking year. Like the guy deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, no doubt, and certainly deserves to have his wife speak on his behalf. So glad to see the NASCAR or whoever in charge rectified the situation because that would have been a bummer. Yeah, definitely been a bummer. Yeah, I just I don't understand the thought process at all. But um, you know, do we have anything planned for this week coming up? I think it's an off week, boys, isn't it? Chili Bowl Discord week is the only thing that's going on currently, and uh, that that'll go on through Saturday. I unfortunately can't watch the A main. Uh, I got a wedding to go to where I'm the best man. So. I'll be uh, doing two of my biggest fears, uh, public speaking and formality. Not a fan of either of them. So great place for me to be, a wedding. But uh, I'm sure that I'll be slipping my phone underneath the table a couple of times to see if Larson's going to do it again. But uh, no, there, there ain't much going on. I watched I watched the uh, Dylan Bash this this weekend. I watched the, uh, the mini stocks put on actually a hell of a show. Uh, the two guys um, uh, got, a, got a one, only one by about a fender, but they were putting on pretty pretty good race there at the end the last 10 15 laps and then uh, the street stocks watched that whole deal that was an absolute fuck show uh 100 lap race and you know, it lasted four hours i think so uh it always is it's kind of you kind of expect that but um no it was it was entertaining the same guy bobby tumbleston or whatever led the entire race and then got thrown out into after tech and that was uh that was i mean i don't know i got he was he was the class of the field and obviously it was a class of field for a reason, I guess. I think he was too light or something like that. But the guy that came in second was super pumped that he came in second. And uh, I'm sure that he's even more happy that he, he won the race. But a lot of a lot of the northern guys 
I didn't realize how many of the Northern guys actually went down there to race. Um, that was cool. And, uh, I was, I was pulling for, uh, Tanner Woodard actually. I didn't realize, uh, I guess there was, there's been some sort of disconnect between episode 72 and right now that I've, I've never, I didn't really know who Tanner Woodard was, but if uh, Charlie remembers correctly, we sat behind his grandfather, uh, <laughs> at white mountain one time. And, uh, we were, we were drinking beers up in the grandstands and, uh, he, his grandfather so happened to have a, a Coca-Cola um, that was definitely a Coca-Cola in the grandstands. And uh, so we didn't, we didn't really, yeah, so we didn't really know any of the drivers there. And uh, we were like, hey, who are you cheering for? He's like, oh, my grandson's coming out. You know, it's, it was one of his first races, I think. And so we started cheering for him. And I think uh, I heard that episode 72 was kind of all about that. And uh, so, yeah, now we're, now we're back to being big Tanner Woodard fans. So I was watching him down there. He, he uh, started fourth, ran around the top five for the majority of the, uh, Jesus Christ, the majority of the fucking event, and uh, she got shuffled back. I think he finished tenth or eleventh, but uh, yeah, it was a disaster. Coming out of there with a car that was able to roll into the trailer is a win in it in and of itself. I think so. Yeah, what did I see? Kid from kid from Claremont area, whatever. Chris Buffone hit a tow truck like on top of the wall, fifty fifty grind. I didn't see what happened, but I saw you guys' snaps of him like in the tow truck on top of the wall. That looked pretty gnarly. Yeah. Yeah. He, he hit the front stretch wall pretty good. And I think it just broke the steering or something. Cause he just, after he came off of that, the wall at the end of pit road, he just hung a left and kind of hit the barrels and the tire and ended up nosing it into the side of the tow truck. But yeah, that was, uh, that was, that was quite the event that, that somebody in the 14, I don't even know what his name was. Um, he, it might, must've been Miley Cyrus. Cause he came in like a fucking wrecking ball on one of the wrecks. I think that I, I sent that snap over to, to the gaggle group as well, but they're completely wrecking down the front, sh- front shoe. I mean, every single car on the racetrack, except for like four is in this wreck. There's a big pile. And this guy just all gas, no brakes, just goes and rides the wall. And the announcers were like, well, he had, he did have a little bit of a lane there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he, had, he, had, he had a quarter of a lane. <laughs> And he, he, he definitely used all of it, but, um, yeah, he, he, uh, what was that Chris Watson fella from the Bangor area? Is that, is that his name? Yeah, he's, uh, he's always very fast. Number 35, uh, almost won the white mountain show that I went to in the fall there. Uh, Jimmy Renfro's there qualified, tough break for him. Chris Riendo, another New England guy was down there. You mentioned, uh, mentioned Tanner Woodard. I think, uh, Jimmy Storis was down there, uh, doing Jimmy Storis things. Um, yeah, Jimmy, you know, you know. Jimmy, typical Jimmy Storis fashion goes to some place he's never been before and gets in a fight. Like a, there was some dude, some dude kicked his door pretty good a couple times, but we never even really saw what happened. It was kind of brutal. I was looking, I was looking to see where the uh, how that whole deal started, but because the guy was just like he was stopped mm-hmm. off the of turn two, I think, and he got out of the car. He was calm, walked into the pits, was calm, seemingly calm, and then uh, went over, proceeded to walk to the other side of pit road and kick Jimmy Storis's door, which um cars and that'll show them yeah (laughs) (laughs) cars and feet those are uh you know one is undefeated against the other so for a race car that i can attest to weighs i don't know six thousand pounds that car is a fucking battle tank uh i mean he'll hit you so hard you think he's just trying to drive it for you and then you try to spin him out and then you rip your whole nose off because the car is just made out of fucking railroad ties and fucking yeah, just it, spiky shit. It, it was interesting watching the B main though, because Jimmy Renfrew was for sure that one of the top two or three, at least they were taking three uh, fastest cars on the racetrack, worked his way all the way from the very back and got to P4, had 
you know, he, he was running down P3 and he had a couple opportunities where he could have gotten into him. I mean, very easily. And he just, he didn't and just didn't make the race, um, which was interesting. You know, that's something that I, I even, you know, anyone racing, trying to race their way in P3 makes the race P4 doesn't, I mean, you're going to, you usually see a little bit of contact there. I think Jimmy just gave him one shot and, and uh, you know, that shot wasn't enough. Unfortunately, I always, I don't, I always like watching just to see the, the Northern guys go and try to, uh, you know, make a name for themselves down there. And so all those guys we were cheering for, and I don't even know who, who won the race now that that Bobby fella got DQ'd, but bad day. Yeah, he's for sure, uh, my weapon of the week for doing a burnout on the scales and wrecking the scales. Like what the fuck are you doing? You clown. You can't go wreck the racetrack scales because you failed tech. I mean, I get it. You're pissed. I've been disqualified too. And you get pissed, but we, we can't be doing burnouts on the scale pads, my dude. Like, those are expensive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, like I said, at least one Bobby had a, had a good day. You were left alone in the race shop. So that's uh, it's a win in your book, I'm sure. But yeah, my weapon of the week is that 14 fella. And uh, that's, uh, that's, pretty, that's pretty much all I got. Yeah, yeah real quick, uh, being the resident TQ midget guy, shout out to Ryan Flores, picked up the first win of the indoor uh, auto racing series, Allentown. Passed Andy Jankowiak and beat him, which is something not a lot of dudes have done in this indoor deal. Um, so Andy ended up second. My buddy Matt Janish, he finished third. And I may, I mean, I'm biased. I, I helped the kid. He's one of my friends. But fuck, man, I watched his GoPro video. He was like 15th the whole race, and just patiently, methodically, just picked him off one by one. Like I'm watching this GoPro video. I'm like, dude, pound this fucking guy out of the way. He's holding you up. Punch this guy. That's how they all race. You know, it's it's battle bots, and he just. On the outside, making moves on restarts, just picking them off one by one. One dude stuffs in the tires, another dude stuffs in the fence. Bang, he's P3. I mean, he didn't really have uh, didn't really have anything for Flores or Jan Koyak, it looked like, but he drove away from fourth, and uh, that's a hometown race for him. He lives in now uh, he lives in Nazareth, which is really close by. So shout out to him. Um, some guy named John Keister won the champ cards and watched. Don't really know how that went. Didn't watch slingshots either. Don't know who won. Apologize to that guy. Um, yeah, we'll have better indoor racing coverage after Atlantic City when we're there. Yeah, yeah, it's a little little easier when you're paying for an admission ticket to watch the race itself. But uh, yeah, no, it was it was it was a weekend that was actually filled with racing. Which the ne- this next weekend coming up is is very much not. And the weekend after that, aside from the Groveton Snow Enduro, I don't think there's much going on either. So I mean, this whole week is filled with racing. I'm literally watching cars race right now, but. Um... That's chilly. Well, that's 400 fucking cars. I know like 30 of them. I don't know what yeah. the hell's going on. I kind of, I honestly kind of <laughs> forgot the chili bowl was going on because I usually, I should be behind a screen watching it right now, which I think is what I'm about to go do. So, well, yeah, I think that, I, I think that wraps it up. We're, we're going to go watch the chili bowl. Uh, it's the beginning of the week for it. Uh, we're going to be up all night, I think, uh, for the foreseeable future watching this. So, that being said, we do have an incredible interview next coming up. Uh, again, alluded to it a little bit at the beginning here. His name is Bonsa Tufa. Uh, he'll cover his story, uh, which apparently started in England. I did not know that. Uh, he's also directly responsible for the Teddy Christopher documentary and a lot of the social media and marketing things that so, uh, Stafford Speedway is very well known for uh, in the very recent past. So. Uh, everybody buckle up. Enjoy this one. And this has been episode 140 nine right any schrader brandon barker drove a dale shaw car that was number 49 brent dragon also drove that car yeah
Matt Swanson drove that car. Yeah, I forgot about that. I tried to run him into a light pole under caution at Oxford because he was trying to pass me. Oh. <laughs> We're all friends now. Yeah, 100%. All right. All right, so we just introduced him. Uh, everybody knows him from his media and marketing skills through Stafford Speedway. Uh, he puts out incredible videos. He does a lot of things for short track racing in general. Uh, without any further ado, on the other side of the Zoom call here, we have Bonsa Tufa. What's going on, man? Are you sure I'm known by everybody? Is that true? Well, I mean, maybe now that you're on the show. <laughs> oh, you know what? There you go. I like that. I'm doing good. I can't complain. Just living the dream, working at a racetrack. What more can I say? Oh, for sure, man. So, I mean, there's a lot of different kinds of people that go to racetrack. I feel there's uh, a pretty, pretty big, uh, uh, diverse little world that we have, I think, sometimes. But uh, you have a pretty interesting story. So, um, for those that don't know, for those that might not have ever heard of you before this show, who the fuck is Bonsatuba? I don't even know where to start. Um, well, fun fact that many people don't know, I was born in England. Not many people would guess that. I don't have a British accent, though, so that disappoints everybody. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, I've lived in Maryland most of my life. I've been a NASCAR fan since 2004. Actually, I became a Tony Stewart fan the week after my first NASCAR race that I watched because Tony, it was at Watkins Glen and Stewart fell sick while running the race and leading the event. And it turned out he had some sort of stomach virus and he took a shit in his fire suit <laughs> and he was all better. And he ended up winning the race. So, you know, eight-year-old me was inspired and that's how Tony Stewart became my favorite driver. And I kind of stuck with NASCAR since then. So I've been a NASCAR fan for 17 years or so i guess now almost 18 now since we're in 2022 but i've been doing broadcast and media since middle school especially on a more common basis in high school and college and i wanted to be in racing uh, it's been my number one sport ever since i first started watching it my parents always said that when my mom was pregnant with me they used to watch formula one so it was in their blood so i don't know i eventually got out of my uh, undergrad at Towson near Baltimore and got my degree. And after a couple hours of not doing shit, I was like, all right, I got to do something else. And I decided to go to grad school and I knew I wanted to try racing. So if I'm going to try racing, I'm going to have to go on the local level. I can't just start in cup, which is, you know, my number one goal. So I was looking up schools and I saw this school called Quinnipiac, Quinnipiac University down Hamden, Connecticut. And there was a track nearby. And back then Stafford was NASCAR sanctioned. So I saw on the NASCAR roots website, it was like an hour away. An hour is not bad for me, at least then an hour now is a pain in the ass, but I thought, okay, I hit up um, a guy named Jeremy who kind of supervises the interns at Stafford. And I also got in contact with Lisa root. And I said, look, I'm moving in in August. Can I come join y'all? And they said, sure. So they welcomed me in. I wish I came a week earlier than I did. Because the week before I went to Stafford was the infamous night where Doug Kobe uh, had his F-bomb in his post-race interview where he's like, I don't get heartbroken. I get fucking pissed. Said that on the live microphone, and it was glorious. But, um, yeah, that was my first night at Stafford, and uh, well, the week after. And it's so weird because living in Maryland for 20 years, I didn't know a damn soul in Connecticut, let alone at Stafford. So it was kind of weird trying to get to know people. But... That night, the SK Modified race, the margin of victory was seven one thousandths of a second. So I was like, okay, 
I guess this shit ain't bad after all. And that's my first race. I've never been to a racetrack in my life until I came to Stafford a couple of years ago. So getting all that together, I have to wear earplugs. I'm a pansy when it comes to that. It's way too damn loud for me to <laughs> handle. So I have to wear earplugs at the track all the time. I'm getting better, though. I, I can handle the street stocks, but the SKs and open modifieds are a no-go. But I guess I've done a decent amount in a couple of years, have I? I, I was going to say, I think you've done uh, enough to at least put your name out there, make a mark, if you will. Um, it's, it's an interesting story for sure. Definitely a different route than most people take, I think. Um, mm-hmm. so at what point were you, you know, kind of swaying back and forth? And you're like, you know, no, it's motorsports. This is what I want to do. Well, before I became a media major in my undergrad, I was actually an accounting major because my parents really wanted me to get a good high paying job out of college. You know, they want me to live a good life, uh, financially stable and such. So accounting was the way to do it. And anytime I told people about being an accounting major, they're like, do you know that accountants have the highest suicide rate? I'm like, why the fuck would you tell me that? Why? I don't understand. But I was an accounting major because I actually did good in high school with accounting. And then I got to college and I ended up with a 2.7 GPA and a D plus in accounting. So I was like, yeah, this shit ain't for me. So I convinced my parents, let me switch my major because I've been doing media for a long time and I loved it. And it's something I'm actually good at. So they let me do it. So I switched over, still graduated on time. Uh, I announced baseball games, softball games at my undergrad school and such. So that's how the media side got started. The racing side, once I got out of college for my undergrad and I started working part-time elsewhere, I was like, you know, if I'm going to go to grad school, racing is my number one sport. I love talking about racing. I can talk about racing forever. I love racing history. I need to be a part of racing, I feel like. So, I mean, it was pretty easy for me to just say, like, you know what? This is my dream. Ever since undergrad, I'm like, I can do it. I'm old enough. I know how to interact with people. I have an understanding of I have to start small. So just go in humble and hope for the best, I guess. It's like so it, worked, it worked out that yeah, this is kind of weird. I've never zoomed before, but it worked <laughs> out also that you didn't even really know. Like for me, Stafford, that's where all like the big name NASCAR you know announcers, media guys, Mike Massaro, yep. Mike Boy, just a couple of examples. So you kind of lucked out in that aspect that that happened to be the track you landed at for college-wise. Well, they have the internship on the website, so I looked up the media internship and I saw the names. I'm like. Okay, Mike Joy, absolute legend. Mike Massaro, who's been the NASCAR business forever. Kyle Ricky, who I listen to on the radio to this day. Like seeing all these names, I'm like, okay. And Jack Aroot Jr., obviously, Jackie. So yeah, like, okay, this is this is some serious shit. Like this is le- this is legit. So what better place to start? I didn't realize how big Stafford is in the short track world. I didn't realize that Stafford is considered by many to be one of the best short tracks in the country. I didn't realize it had some of the best infrastructure among short tracks on the local level. So I was like, wow, like I really hit the jackpot with this. Yeah. Especially not having to bounce around from track to track. Cause I know that a lot of people have to do that and take that route. And one thing that I've noticed about Stafford was that I first went to Stafford for the first time ever two years ago. And it was just one one trip to the fall final. And then, you know, last year I went the same amount of times I went to Beechridge, which is my home track right down the road. Spent spent nine or ten days at both of those establishments last year. But the community at Stafford is uh, it's one that's really easy to get along with, at least from my 
vantage point. Like I, people, I didn't really know anyone that first time that I went. Now I feel like it's uh, the community's kind of embraced the fact that, you know, we, we travel down and, and spend so much time at the racetrack. Have you noticed some of that? Oh my gosh. When I first walked into the pits the first day, I mean, there's five divisions. Each division has at least a dozen cars. Most of them have almost 20, 25. So you have a hundred cars in the pits and I'm like, amazed at seeing all these cars and i think oh shit i have to know all these people how the hell am i gonna do that well i guess it kind of worked out now that i look back on it but i guess i i actually i dm'd alan bestwick one day um alan bestwick who a lot of nascar fans for a long time love one of the best broadcasters in the past couple of decades in my opinion i actually dm'd him because he has a bit of a stafford connection i asked him for advice on how to approach all of it. And he's just, and he actually got back to me. He's one of the coolest people. I don't know if you guys got to meet him at SRX. Um, one of the nicest people. And he was like, you just got to take it slow and learn one, one at a time. And I think what helped me was my first job, really my only job uh, in my first year was I recorded Nicola Rose's post-race interviews in the pits. So everyone kind of knew me as the, Oh, you're the guy that records Nicole's interviews and such. So People started learning about me through that. And then just slowly building off of it, I started building more friendships. The first people that approached me were Lisa Root and Tom Fox, which said a lot to me already is that they came to me and introduced themselves to me just to make me feel at home. So even something as little as that goes a long way. So like even now when we get new interns at Stafford, I try to make them feel at home and bust their tail a bit just to be like, dude, don't feel tensed up. Like, we're glad you're here. Just do what you got to do. Show that you care and the respect comes with it. So it took a bit, but you said it. I mean, I've been treated extremely well pretty much from day one. And as time goes on, it seems like that good treatment, that respect has just exponentially gone up because I've kind of, I guess, earned my stripes, you can say. I think that that's, uh, <clears throat> that's pretty cool that you're able to, to kind of almost fall into a place that has such uh, uh, talent from its past already and a lot of names that we're already all so familiar with so uh, have you been able to take any of what you've learned from Stafford and go to different places and kind of experience the you know what we're trying to do here and, and meld the whole short track community together have you been able to travel at all I have not the furthest I've traveled is Thompson and Waterford <laughs> I want to go I've been trying to go to Seekonk since I first came here but for one reason or another I haven't been able to go I want to go to Seekonk. I want to go to Monadnock. I want to go to Loudoun for the tour race. I want to go to, well, I wish I went to Beach Ridge after I saw the tour race there. That was my first Beach Ridge race I've seen um, in the live stream. And the race was fantastic. So, you know, Star, all these tracks I eventually want to go to. Um, I have a lease on my car that has limited mileage, so I can't really do too much traveling in that regard, or else I'll spend half my savings on it. But, I mean, then go, yeah, to travel more places just to see different tracks. That's one thing I love about all these short tracks here in New England is that each one is different. You got Stafford, the half-mile track, you know, nine degrees one side, seven degrees on the other. Thompson, a half-mile tight turns, high-banked Waterford, a third of a mile, two grooves. I think Waterford puts on the best show in Connecticut. As much as I love Stafford, I think Waterford – is up there, if not exceeds in terms of being able to put on a good show across all divisions. Um, you know, Monadnock is a tiny little boring, but one turn I feel like is steeper than Talladega. It's amazing how high banked Monadnock is. 
you know, starts its own, like they're all different. So yeah, I want to travel around and check places out Thunder road. That's why I want to go to a tri-track race at Thunder road. That's going to be fun to watch. So I haven't done as much traveling as I want to, but hopefully if I stick around a little bit more, I can do that. Of all the things that you've been fortunate enough to do already in such a short amount of time, you've obviously learned a lot of things. You've gained a lot of knowledge. Is there anything in particular or specific that you you'd like to know more about or investigate or, or have the knowledge of the business, which I you know I work with the roots. So, you know, I can talk to them about different stuff, but the short track business is so interesting, especially because I've been watching mainstream NASCAR for so long that how the big tracks in NASCAR operate compared to how the local short tracks operate is completely different. And you see it in the pandemic where in NASCAR, Darlington, you can have empty stadium races because a lot of their TV money gives them the funds that they need to keep going. At Stafford or any other track, we don't have TV money. So we rely on, you know, pay-per-view or the live streams or especially the ticket sales at the, at the gate. So it's interesting learning the business side. I've learned a lot on the video side, and that's something I still want to learn is the live streaming side of things because the production, it's fast-paced. We only have four cameras in our production, but it all happens so fast that you really have to almost anticipate and you have to be proactive rather than reactive. So, but directing the races, directing the broadcast, because if people don't know, I direct the flow broadcast for Stafford. I'm the one that switches the cameras and everything. It's, it's hectic sometimes, but it's so much fun. I think that's some of the most fun I've had because it's, it helps that I know the sports so damn well. And like, I can have a great idea of what's going to happen next. So the production side is definitely something I need to learn more about, but the business side I think is so interesting. Well, that's that's good. It slides into what my next question was going to be for you. Take us through what is your, your Friday at Stafford like from when you get there to when you leave, what, you know, what do you do uh, over the course of a race meet? I don't, I haven't been to Stafford in like 11 years, which is a flaw of mine. What the hell are you doing? Get your ass over here. I Fuck, man. I work late on Fridays and we got the go-kart gig on Friday, so it's tough. But I do want to get back there. I really want to race there. It's the only track in Connecticut I've never raced at. But uh, I'm a big fan of the Flow Racing broadcast. Stafford's Flow Racing, my personal opinion, kicks the shit out of anyone else's uh, production. And it sounds like you're the reason why it's so good. So take us through a, a typical Friday night for you at Stafford. Well, it's not just me. I got an awesome team. My team is bad freaking ass. And from the producer to the people who help out behind the scenes, nice cat, by the way. Um, For those who don't listen or not watching, I'm looking at freaking Timmons catch or cat on the webcam. So let's see a normal Friday night. I get to the track probably around, let's say 10 or 11. Uh, I get there decently early. Um, Usually I go there, I talk to the Aroots, I usually talk to Paul. Paul's the one I communicate with the most. Um, he's the one that does a lot of the social media, multimedia stuff. So I usually go there around 10, 11. We talk, we have ideas of like what to, who to interview, um, who do we do for our pit, uh, pit preview where we whip around and talk to four drivers for a short amount of time, put that all in the one video. So that's basically what it is. Otherwise, I'm going out and setting up cameras or setting up um, our power equipment, what we use to power up the cameras and connect the cameras to the production trailer behind turn four. So that's normally what I do for the first couple hours, just put everything together, make sure everything is working. Um, I want to know in advance if there's any issues. I'd rather know beforehand by a couple hours than find out at the green flag. So 
that's what I basically do from like 10, 11 o'clock to probably two, three o'clock. And then after that, we get ready for our interviews in the pits pre-race. We might do a couple drivers, individual interviews, and then we do an, a video with four interviews put together. It depends on what race. If it's the 5K, the SK 5K will interview four SK drivers. If it's a normal day, maybe one limited driver, uh, an SK driver, a late mile driver, and a street stock driver, something like that. You know, Try to keep it diverse because we want to try and give each division as much exposure as they can. Um, SK Modifieds are obviously the headline division, but we want to give all the divisions love. So that's what we do from about two o'clock or so, because practice starts at around four o'clock. So we try to get that done beforehand. And then once practice hits, sometimes I'll go out different parts of the track, get some B-roll, get some extra video footage of people, you know, in the pits, working on their cars or practicing on the track. You can never have too much. You may never know when you need it. And then once practice is over, get to the production trailer behind turn four, get ready for the heat races, and then just direct from there. Seems like a pretty bad thing. Do you have have any uh, issue trying to mix work with pleasure? Like, I know you're a race fan. Do you have any any Friday night where, you know, you don't get to just sit back and watch the race? You have to be directing the whole entire time? That's what Thompson and Waterford are for. Those are the races I can go to where I don't have to worry about working. I can't. I can't complain as much as I might like to watch the spectator. I'm still watching it. And so, you know, and I'm making a difference, I feel like with the experience. So I really don't feel that way. I just, I'm grateful for being able to do what I do. Sometimes I forget that the track is next to me. Sometimes when you're in that trailer, you just feel like you're in your own little spot. And I look out the window, I'm like, oh shit, the racetrack is right there. Like I can see the racing out there on my window, but you're so locked in on the big TV with all these different screens and all these different cameras that you kind of forget that they're racing right next to you. But no, I'm not, I'm not upset about that. That's why I enjoy going to Thompson and Waterford because I get to go there and relax and have fun. Bob. <laughs> I didn't uh, I was just going to follow up. I didn't know that there was a, uh, a production trailer there. I guess I should have known that, but I'm virtually clueless when it comes to TV things. So that's pretty badass for sure. Yeah, there's one. Um, it's so in turn four, you had the two suites, and the trailer is right behind that. So it's kind of covered by the um, support railing for the two suites. Makes sense. Seems like you probably should have one of those if you're going to do a TV racing. But... It's a little bit important. Yes. <laughs> what was it? What was it like going to the SRX deal and being able to, you know, at least see Tony Stewart? I did. I assume you interviewed Tony Stewart up close. You're the reason why you got into NASCAR. You're you're. You know, big fan of his, obviously. And then Alan Beswick, being able to talk to him in person, I'm sure. You know, how, how was the SRX deal for you? Because I know for me, it was something that I never, ever uh, anticipated being able to do. Um, it was funny. I posted the 10-year challenge deal on Facebook, and it was a picture of fat me with Kyle Busch as just a fan. And uh, I almost used the picture of me interviewing Tony Stewart as, you know, the follow-up picture. Because 10 years ago, I was just that fat kid, you know, with greasy hair trying to get Kyle Busch's <laughs> autograph. And uh, now this year I had a, a microphone in Tony Stewart's face, but talk, talk about the SRX deal. Did you, you get to interview a lot of those guys? Actually, no, I, we had, we didn't get a chance to because of either I had to prepare the broadcast or because of conflict with timing and scheduling, which sucked, but oh my gosh, that I'd never met a top level racer in my life. So to be there and see my favorite NASCAR driver in Tony Stewart, one of my favorite IndyCar drivers in Tony Kanaan and Elio Castroneves, who just a month before won the freaking Indy 500, 
which is surreal. And I, it's the easiest marketing you'll ever have as a racetrack to say that the most recent Indy 500 winner is coming to your track to race. But, you know, Willie T. Ribs, I mean, his story is unreal. The craziest thing is seeing Brad Doherty. That dude is tall as shit. Oh, my gosh. He is. <laughs> it's ridiculous how much he just stands over everybody. It's the atmosphere. You want to talk about a big event atmosphere. That was it. That was unlike anything I had ever seen. And, I mean, the place was packed, dude. The place was absolutely packed to its core. I don't know if you could fit any more people there. But to see all the big names out there, just right in front, Danica Patrick, some of these people were shorter than I thought. I guess TV makes people look taller and bigger than they are because some people are short. But talking to Alan Beswick was really cool. Got to chat with him for like five or ten minutes. Um, he's one of those guys where if you just ask him, his DMs are open, you ask him for advice. He's so humble and willing to help you out, which just, it means a lot, especially when he's one of your favorite broadcasters that you look up to. But SRX was incredible. I mean, heck, the SK All-Star Showdown was incredible that day. The pit party we had, the autographs, it was just nuts. I mean, we talk about the pandemic that's been going on for two years. That really just felt like nothing else mattered except that race and that event, which was something I just hadn't felt in over two years. So it was just so surreal. I, I don't know if there'll ever be an atmosphere match. I mean, TriTrack last year at Stafford or in 2020, that had a big event atmosphere, but SRX was just on a whole nother level. The star power in that track and knowing that we were the first SRX race, which in of itself was huge. You know, you're going to have at least a million people watching you on TV. That is your track in the spotlight. It was almost overwhelming in a way, but it was just so damn cool. And actually, I remember seeing you guys interviewing um, some of the drivers. I'm like, damn. I should have took in their, I should have just took their approach because they didn't give a shit. They just went up there and interviewed people. So I'm sure you guys had a lot of fun as much as we did. That was like, what was weird though, is it was almost like you said, overwhelming in the sense that, so we we showed up there at like 10, Uh, the the microphone equipment that we were using didn't show up until closer to noon. So then we were all kind of just standing around, but there was just so much going on and it being the first event that I didn't really know how it was going to play out. And so they started doing like their, their practice laps or whatever. And we're on the infield for it. And then you can still see, you can see like the fans filling up and the race is yep. like for four or five hours. It was like the, it was the closest thing to when I watch old NASCAR races and the stands are completely packed. Like you can't fit any other human into the racetrack. It was the closest thing that I think that I'll ever see to that. Uh, especially on that magnitude, I guess. Now they're taking out grandstands and NASCAR tracks, trying to make it look mm-hmm. like that, but uh, no, that that whole event was wild, and I guess I, I I don't know that I still have realized it yet that I was able to stand next to Elio Castro Neves interviewing him a month after you know he won the Indy 500 again. But it was just that was that was something that and a lot of the guys that I wanted to interview like Bill Elliott was one of my favorites as a kid. I like Mike Waltrip, so uh, it was hard to try to get my hands on like each and every single one of them. I wanted to interview every driver that was there. But I kind of just took, you know, the ones that were the easiest to access. And luckily, Elio and Tony are two pretty good names to be able to be able to talk to. But I hope that that event comes back to Stafford. That was something that I will never forget. That was probably the, it was easily the coolest thing that's ever happened to me in my life was going to that SRX deal at Stafford. So. I think one of my favorite moments, though, was the night before Michael Waltrip, who's clearly not sober, is walking down the open modified grid, just 
shooting video and such. And one of the officials came up like, okay, look, you're having fun, but you can't be doing this. Like you got to move. And they eventually had him do the command. I was like, are you kidding me? I was so jealous though, because that night, one of our guy, one of our interns, um, he was kind of free to roam around um, during one of our features. And he was chilling on the scaffolding in turn three. And if you remember, SRX was parked in the backstretch. This dude had Tony Stewart, Ken Schrader, and a few other stars go up the scaffolding. He got to have a conversation with all of them throughout the night. I was so freaking jealous of Ryan. That's his name, Ryan, that he got the chance to talk to those guys who clearly had some beers in, in their intake. Like, it was we, – we saw it on camera. Like, we didn't put a lie, but we saw him on camera just all shooting the shit. I'm like, you are one lucky son of a gun. I was so – jealous of it but what a storybook way to end it with doug kobe winning i mean seeing the fans go nuts when kobe won i and then he slipped and fell but that's a different <laughs> ordeal but if anyone if anyone can laugh at themselves falling down it's doug kobe i mean he handled that well but yeah. seeing kobe win that race first race the local star the kobe chance i mean it was almost like a perfect day to be honest like you couldn't have asked for a more successful first race which it's the first race. Not everything is going to be perfect, but it just damn near was perfect. And it just made that whole entire day memorable for me. Well, I know that we got some Patreon questions here. Uh, I'll go all oh, the way back to, to last week. Yeah. There's some that we, we either won't mention or we'll just bleep out the whole entire question. Uh, Jonathan well, Williams. Fowler didn't get in on that again. Yeah. Yeah. There was a couple ridiculous ones. There's, there's definitely some this week too. Uh, Jonathan Williams asked if you could watch any driver race a race who, and at what track. So I guess for you that, and anywhere other than Thompson Waterford, or you could even go NASCAR or IndyCar or, or uh, whatever, but any, any driver at any track, this is a last week question as well, but it was just Bobby and I are in Charlie last week. So. Any any driver, any track aside from Connecticut and any Connecticut connection. Well, I just don't I just don't want to get you in trouble. So I know that you, you I don't know if you can I don't know if you can play favorites. I will never play favorites. Um or at least I won't show it. Um dude, Kyle Larson on any dirt track. Kyle Larson on any dirt track. It's so fun to watch him just sling it and find a way to get through the field and win. I mean, he's one of the best racers that we have today across any division or any type of car dirt asphalt hell he could probably race on water and do well so larson any dirt track to be honest i mean hell watching him and christopher bell at the chili bowl last year i mean that was so fun to watch so i'd probably say larson had a dirt track yeah the fact that he even jumped in a late model and he was uh the best you know best in the field is that says something mm -hmm. uh david of Zurich, i hope that's how you say it uh, what's the transition been like for Stafford since stepping away from being NASCAR sanctioned? Any pros and cons? And who are your top three SK modified guys you've seen at Stafford? So I, um, I really haven't noticed any cons. Like, honestly, Stafford got to the point where, I mean, you know, the NASCAR sanction maybe wasn't necessary anymore. And, you know, there's a whole streaming rights deal. But I think Stafford got a positive out of it i mean flow racing was a huge hit this past year it hasn't affected our car counts in any ways i mean we still have great field sizes we have great competition stafford has their own point fund now and their point fund i think is bigger than the one that was there before the sanction was repealed so i really don't see any cons as of now i think stafford has done a great job objectively speaking of moving on from nascar and making a name for themselves 
as far as the top three SK drivers, Keith Rocco, number one, no doubt about it. Seeing him, even in my two years, seeing him at Stafford, Thompson, Waterford, the moves he make on the track, everyone else either would not make those moves or could try those moves and wreck their asses. Keith Rocco, he pulls off moves that I can't believe work. So he's obviously number one. Second and third is tough. Oh, boy. Um, I don't know. I think. Oh, this is going to be hard because, I mean, there's so many good ones. It, it, that's the thing that makes it tough is that there's so many damn good SK drivers. I mean, you obviously have Ronnie Williams. I mean, Ronnie, he's a smart racer. Doesn't usually – when I first came to Stafford in 2019, it seemed like a lot of people were booing him because he had bumped a couple people out of the way on the last lap in a couple of races. But I'd say it's so hard. It's, I, it's between probably Kopchik, Owen – and Williams for those last two spots. Christopher is up there too. Um, I'd probably have to say Todd second, just because I think he's really smooth. And I, I think, I think I put Kopchik third because I think he's on the rise up. Yeah, he had his DQ uh, at the end of last year, which sucked. But he, I thought he was due for a breakout year. I mean, in 2020, he only had one win, but he had so many good runs and so many fast cars only to end up getting wrecked some way, somehow. So I think I'd probably go with Rocco, Owen, Kopchick, but I mean, Ronnie and Mike Christopher are right there too. So, I mean, it's not like they're in a whole nother division. I mean, that, that group of five, I think, is the core of the SKs at Stafford. Yeah, that, that seems to be the case. And I, I don't let facts get in the way a good story of that Kopsik win that got taken away from him because that was probably the loudest I've seen a short track for just a, not SRX is its own deal, but that was probably the loudest I've seen a short track in it, at least a decade. So oh, I was so, I was kind of, I was bummed first for Kopsik because I hate, I hate to see anything bad happen to anybody, but that SK championship battle was going to be tied going into the season finale. That would have been nuts. Now, in hindsight, Kopchik and Owen wrecked on lap three of the finale, but like that would have been huge to have the top two in the SK points tied going into. I'd rather have them tied going in than tied at the end of the season. And so that would have been incredible. Those two were fantastic all year long. They had put good shows against each other. So it is what it is. But yeah, was, the Kopchik deal was unfortunate, but that's racing. I was, I was planning on coming back that next week for that finale, but then he got DQ'd and it wasn't going to be tied going into the next, the final week. So I, I didn't end up making the three hour journey, but uh, Sean Miner asked if you could, if you took two lasagnas and stacked them on top of each other, would you have one lasagna or two lasagnas? It's the stupidest question I've ever <laughs> heard in my life. Welcome to I, the- I don't, I don't understand why I'm hearing this question so much. Um, it's one lasagna. If you think otherwise, you're wrong. Just like pineapple doesn't long, belong on pizza, doesn't uh, make two lasagnas. It's one lasagna. Oh, all right. No, that's just not true. That's correct. Uh, a Hawaiian pizza is pretty fucking good. <laughs> I disagree. Well, it's all right. No fruits, or, no fruits or vegetables belong on pizza. Exactly. Especially a warm, moist fruit. Do you not? Do Damn you not, right. Do you not put red sauce on your pizza? That's a Red different. sauce? Yeah. Does it not have sauce on it? It's a different thing. That's different, dude. That's They're made different. out of tomatoes? That's a fruit. That's different. That's different. That's different. No, tomato's different. You just said you can't have any fruit on it. That's a fruit. No, tomato's different. I'm talking like apples, bananas, and all that shit, not tomatoes. <laughs> there's, a, there's, there's a dumber question, I promise. Oh, uh, boy. Scott Fowler asked if you were in a... Oh, no.
Um, Wait, what was what was the question? If you were in a room, um, and then his follow up question was, if you had the chance to race any car at any racetrack in New England, uh, what car are you racing and where? Do I wreck the shit out of it? Yeah. Um. Yeah. No, I would never drive Thompson that track. Ooh. There's not a soft hit at Thompson, dude. You probably remember the pass wreck that happened there at the season finale in turn two. Oh, yeah. Um, I would probably go with – it's two things. Either an SK at Stafford or tour type at New Hampshire. One of those two. I'd probably lean towards SK at Stafford because I don't know if my body can handle the speed of New Hampshire going 115 to turn one. So I think an SK at Stafford is where I'll stay for now. I wouldn't recommend anyone giving me a car to drive, though. Yeah, fair enough. So, so looking ahead, looking into the future a little bit, I mean, you, you've created this little, little ball of work at Stafford. You've, you've uh, again, you've made a name for yourself in, in, in the marketing and media department there and, and things like that. But, but moving forward, is that something that you want to grow or, or do you want to kind of branch out? Do you want to go different places? Do you, you know, what's the end goal? You see, I learned during the summer, if I try to plan too far ahead, it's going to come back to bite my ass because the last time I did that, my apartment had a fire and I was homeless for six weeks. So when it comes, did you guys not know about that? And I saw it on, a, on the Facebook uh, year end wrap up deal you posted. But, yeah. 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 So I was homeless for six weeks in a hotel because of that. So it's like, I don't want to look too, too far ahead into the future. I'm just focusing on getting through 2022. I mean, Stafford's got big things planned for 22 don't even ask me what those are because i ain't saying shit um but i'm excited for 22 i'm just focused on getting through 2022 and making the most of what we have and making sure we build off of what we pulled off in 21 because i thought 2021 we did a really damn good job so try to be the best production team we can be in 22 and then what happens after that i don't know it's just we gotta wait and see i i not planning further ahead than a year these days because anything can happen. I'm not, I'm not dealing with another shit like an apartment fire ruining all my plans. So do you have any aspirations of moving on to higher levels of motorsports and media and all that? Or I know you're not planning ahead, but what is like, my number, my number one goal is to make it to cup. Although it's just like, you know, one thing about short track racing is that opened my eyes to how much cup seems to be lacking compared to the local atmosphere because you know when you watch cup racing for 15 years that's all you watch you're like oh the racing's fine and you look at the short tracks and you're like man that is so much better and i'm not trying to knock on nascar and i hope their new car that they're having this year does well it's just when you see the racing at stafford thompson new hampshire you know waterford and then you see the racing in cup you know a 500 mile race at atlanta or something it's like it's not the same it's not as good and then you know a lot of decisions that nascar make you wonder why or if they're good decisions and such. But I'd still say the end goal is to make it to the top level just to be able to say that I made it to the top. But, you know, that might change depending on NASCAR's trajectory. I don't know. But short track racing is where my heart is right now. So I think one last question that we have here. Uh, We're at at three minutes left of our incredible Zoom account. Yeah, I see that. Um, so one last question I like to end pretty much anything on, I think this has been really good. I think it's been super insightful. Um, you know, your experiences and what you want to do and, and your motivations to motorsports, but 
uh, the one question I like to ask every single person that comes on this, uh, you know, when it, when it all comes down to it, it, it's all, you know, boils down to it. What is it that brings Bonsatupa to the racetrack? Why, why do you have to be there every week? It's my job. <laughs> I work full-time at Stafford, but no, aside from that, the people, don't get me wrong. The racing is great and I love it, but the people make it, you know, I mean, for example, the apartment fire, somebody from the wild thing cars, which I do on Monday nights at Stafford, um, where kids get to start their racing career in a, at a good budget, you know, a mother from the wild thing cars opened to go fund me for me when I had my apartment fire to help, you know, deal with whatever expenses I might have to deal with afterwards. And I think the goal was like 2000. I think it went up to 2,500 at the end, which just blew my mind. So, and then Pomfret Speedway, another kart track, um, they, they, they had a race sponsored in my name. They gave me money as well, separate from the GoFundMe. So just seeing all the support that people have given me, you know, everyone, people message me like, you know, keep up the good work. You're doing great. I love your content and such. All that goes a long way. That's what makes me keep going. You know, seeing people encouraging me to do what I do and that what I do is big. So I'd say the people, the people make a difference anywhere you go. If it's a toxic environment, it's not worth it. And you know, racing has its drama, obviously, but honestly, the people in the big picture of things, you know, it's a family. It's a dysfunctional family at times, but it's a family. That's what I love the most. So one of the things, uh, Bonzi, you said you got started at Stafford in 2019. So that was after uh, we lost Ted Christopher. Ted was a teammate of mine and a hell of a race car driver. Um, you either loved him or you hated him from a fan's uh, aspect. But uh, talk about your involvement with the documentary that was made um after tc passed away in a documentary that for sure made me cry on my way to the races one day sorry um <laughs> well before i came to stafford i had exposure to modifieds on tv because speed channel versus eventually nbc would broadcast some of the modified tour races um i used to watch when they raced at loudon which i thought was one of the best races on asphalt um when they raced at bristol when they had those races and then um, they had the, that one year they raced in the backstretch at Daytona, the battle of the beach was an absolute cluster disaster shitstorm. But um, so I heard the name Ted Christopher, because when I started watching modified, it was just after he had won the tour title in 2008 driving the red 36 car. And I had heard about him driving the mystique car, the 13, I heard about his driving style. So I knew a little bit about him just from watching the older races on TV when I was younger. And actually, when I was about to graduate from my master's degree, I had to do a capstone project. For those who don't know, capstone is basically like your graduation project. That's your final project before you graduate with your degree. And for my major, sports journalism, basically, you're taking everything you learn and putting it into one big project. It could be a long-form article. It could be a long video, a documentary, anything multimedia. So when I went to Stafford, I knew how good Ted was, but I didn't know how legendary he was until I went to Stafford. And I noticed 13 flags. And I remember I asked somebody, what's the 13? They're like, have you heard of Ted Christopher? I was like, yeah. And then they told me about the, the accolades he has and the fact that they retired his number. I remember the night he died. I remember seeing the news showing how big of a deal Ted Christopher, even though he mainly raced the local level, how big of a deal he is, where even I, a guy who focused on the top three national series, 
was able to hear about this news and have a reaction like, oh my gosh, like that's a big deal losing him. So I thought about like Ted Christopher and Dale Earnhardt, who people call one of the best NASCAR drivers, if not the best ever, they have oddly parallel careers in that they both have similar driving styles, the Intimidator, you got this guy at the Tornado because he was a tornado on the track at times or a lot of times. Um, there were drivers who had a ton of championships, a ton of wins, both infamous driving black cars. They both had slumps late in their career and they both had career resurgences that we never got to see live to the full potential because they both died basically unexpectedly. So like their careers were so oddly parallel and Dale Earnhardt is a driver that anyone can and should document. I mean, he's a very documentary worthy driver. So I'm like, what about Ted? Ted is deserving of a documentary. He is quite the personality on the track, but he's different off the track, just like Dale Earnhardt. You know, he might seem like an asshole on the track, but a lot of people say he's also one of the nicest people you meet off the track. Same with Ted Christopher. So I thought to myself, okay, let me kill two birds with one stone. My graduation project is going to be the Ted Christopher doc, and I'm going to post on Stafford's YouTube. So I hit it up with uh, Paul Root. I talked to my advisor at school. They were both okay with it. The plan was for a 30-minute to 45-minute documentary. That didn't happen, as you can tell. So I knew the first people I had to contact were the Christopher family. And at that time, I knew, uh, I knew Mike Christopher Jr., Mike Christopher Sr., because I had interviewed Mike Jr. beforehand about his first SK win. And I also knew Jen Christopher because she was actually the first Christopher I met when I went to M&T the first time, their business. So I contacted them. Uh, actually, no, the first person I contacted was Quinn, Ted's widow, because Quinn had her drive for safety awareness, giving away those fireproof undershirts in 2020. So I thought, okay, I'm going to meet her at the track at the Christopher Pitts. So I asked her. She said she's cool with it. She would be down for an interview. So we exchanged contacts. And she was my first interview. Ended up doing two interviews with her. And from there on, you know, I talked to Quinn. I talked to my Christopher Jr., Sr., and Jan. And I asked him, you know, who else should I interview? Because I want to get the perspective of as many people as possible. Family, drivers, pit crew members, owners, media people, anybody. Young, old, in the middle, 80s, 90s, 2000s. So, you know, when it comes to crew, Michael O'Sullivan came up, been crew chief for Ted forever, for a long time, with so much success. You know, getting Dan Avery, who competed with Ted in the 80s and 90s and eventually 2000s. Um, Woody Pitcat, Doug Kobe, two guys who've had history with Ted in one way or another. But also getting the personal side, you know, getting the people who are close to Ted off the track, you know, uh, Tommy Heslin, Snake, you know, he, he was in racing, but he and Ted became close off the track as well. You know, that, that group of five, the Plainville gang, as I call them, the doc, you know, they've been best friends with each other going back to kindergarten, which I thought was one of the biggest things to get because I wanted to get Ted's life from beginning to end. And the fact that I was able to get those guys to talk about Ted's childhood, I thought was huge because that was like the one part that was missing in this whole story was getting the childhood of Ted Christopher. And then I got Ted's mom, Lucy, which I didn't think I would do. I didn't think I could do that. I wasn't sure if she'd be able to do it. I knew she was still, I knew she was around, but thankfully Jen Christopher was able to convince her and Judy, who's Ted's sister, to do the interview together at the Mike Christopher's house. 
And then getting Nikki Christopher, my Christopher Jr. sister, getting that younger niece perspective. Getting Jim Galante, which I thought was awesome. Oh, my (laughs) gosh. I never – Paul Root told me to get Jim. I thought there's no way in hell I'm getting Jim. Ever since his arrest, he's lied low. I mean, he – until the Danbury documentary came out, which is a badass doc. But um, I said, all right, I'm going to call his business, his propane business. I hit him up. Uh, A lady picked up. I asked to let Jim know that I want to do a documentary on Ted Christopher. He's like, Ted Christopher? I was like, don't worry. He'll know who I'm talking about. So I didn't expect a phone call back for a while, if at all. Ten minutes later, I get a phone call. This is Jim Galante. I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> like, my heart stopped. I'm like, oh, damn, I just got the man. And he, he said he'd love to do it. He was really nice to me. I mean, he has his history, but he's, he was good to me, and he's been good to a lot of people. I know that. So to get him and to get his perspective as an owner – Oh, I mean, I did what 30 interviews, I think I lost count. It was like 30 interviews with like 25, 27 people, you know, and I was able to get everything I think that I could. And the more I worked on, I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is not going to be 30 minutes. This will be an hour. No, it's going to be an hour and a half. OK, this is going to holy shit. This is two hours and 21 minutes. I never expected it to be like that. And what made it even more stressful because it was stressful. But the reason it was stressful is because I didn't want to get it wrong. You know, this is Ted freaking Christopher. This ain't no normal person. This is the man. This is the king. I didn't want to mess it up. So I was very meticulous, but also I missed five days of editing because I had a close contact to somebody with COVID. So I missed five days of editing and this project was due in two weeks. So I had to edit at the, cause I edited it at the track, not at home. My computer can't handle all this shit. So I was editing at the track and I was there for two straight weeks, 10 hours per day for the next two weeks editing that documentary before I finally finished it. And just looking back, I was like, man, I got some damn good people. Keith Rocco, Ben Dodge, Matt Buckler. Just, I could have made a seven-hour documentary out of, out of all that I was told in those interviews because each interview averaged about 45 minutes to an hour. Some went to two. When you have Sean Waddell, he will talk as long as he pleases. So, but... I, it's all good stuff. It's not wasted fluff. Like it's all damn good stuff, but I can't put everything because there's got to be a bit of a limit to how much time this doc is. But when I, when I finished it, we decided, all right, when are we going to publish it? And one of the guys from the Plainville gang, uh, Dave Martino, I gave him credit. He said, do it on June 5th. I asked why he said, what's on June 5th. And it hit me. That's Ted and Mike Christopher's birthday. So I was like, Okay, that makes sense. It's on a Saturday. So we did that. We did a couple of teasers. He helped me kind of find a good way to promote the documentary without releasing too much, but showing too little. And as the day got closer, man, I got a little more anxious and a little more anxious. And I went to a wedding that day. It was released. Uh, A couple of our camera people had a wedding at Stafford on that day. So while I'm dealing with the wedding, my phone is blowing up. Like I'm getting texts and notifications left and right, which was nuts, including a message from Quinn's mother, Ted's mother-in-law, which I never expected. It was just like, it was hard enough trying to keep your composure during the wedding because you're so emotional. And I'm also getting emotional seeing some of these messages people are sending me as well about the doc. It was so overwhelming, but it was so damn cool at the end. I mean, it was kind of like, wow, I just did that. I just, I just pulled that off. I don't know how in the, 
hell I pulled that off. But like, you know, because I kind of did it all by myself in terms of interviewing, putting the videos together and such. It, it was all me. I had the help of Stafford giving me the equipment. The people who interview, who I interviewed gave me photos, gave me a whole lot of stuff. Ken Meisenhelder from KGM gave me all the videos from the 80s, the 90s. I can't tell you how many hours it took to make that. Hundreds, hundreds of hours. That's a documentary that takes about a year or two to produce. I did it in four months, and I'll never, ever recommend that to anybody because it will drive you freaking insane sometimes. But it's easily my proudest work. And to be honest, I don't know if I can ever beat that. I mean, not many people can say they did a two-and-a-half-hour documentary on the best, arguably the best modified driver in the last three decades in Connecticut. So to be able to have that – no matter where life takes me, there's two things I'll always be forever grateful for, forever grateful for being able to work with my mom, who's a journalist, international journalist, being able to work with her as a producer and bossing her around and then doing this documentary. And I mean, the Christopher family, I owe a whole lot to because when I started this doc, I was barely around for a year. I wasn't really that known. I started getting my footsteps going, but they trusted me with this and it went a long way and I, I, I'm, I'm so grateful that they trusted me and I'm so happy that so many people had so many nice things to say about it. So I think it's safe to say I give you an A plus. I'm sure many other people will give you an A plus. What did you get for a grade on it? Or was it graded? It was pass fail and I passed. Okay. There was no letter grade to it. If it was a bad documentary with all the amount of work I did, I think they'd still make me pass because they would feel bad for me. <laughs> Well, it certainly wasn't a bad one, that's for sure. When it when it's pass fail, they all look A plus on the score sheet. So Yep, that's what matters. Good. Yeah. But no, it was it was that was one thing that I, I didn't really know Ted Christopher, but I remember where I was the minute I found out that he'd passed away. I was standing right next to Bobby in the turn five tavern at Beechridge. That was uh, no. It's that's it's weird though, because there's not many instances where I remember where I was when someone passed away, but that was just so shocking to read. Um, or hear about. I think Bobby's the one that actually said that told me about it. But watching that documentary, whether I knew him or not, I still shed some tears. And never once did I think that it was too long of a documentary. I think that you did it. Uh, you know, you, it was terrific. It was it was really good. And everyone I think that I've ever heard talk about it has said the exact same. So I think I think that also when it came to the respect, I think that helped things out a lot because people I think saw like, oh, this guy's the real deal. I think one of the coolest things was a couple. Well, Jen Christopher said, it's like, I know Teddy now because I kind of do because I've heard so many stories as a result of this documentary. You know, Jim Galante texted me. He's like, hey, now you're part of the Mystique team. Thank you. I was like, wow. And then um, Michael O'Sullivan, who's the biggest ball buster you'll meet. Um, he doesn't post much on Facebook, but he posted this whole paragraph talking about how he was happy that I was part of the track. He was saying that when I first came, he's like, oh, another blowhard intern trying to get his hours. And then he saw the work I did. And he's like, you know, he was like, we, we're happy to have you here. Stuff like that. That's what makes it all worth it. It's just being able to serve the community to your best ability and people showing their appreciation for it. And I think that was just that, that was so cool. It was it was really cool. Well, I was glad that you're able to talk on. It. I'm glad that we extended this a little bit longer and uh, it. 
in my opinion, the Stafford media team is, is second to none in the region. So not only is it some of the best racing that you'll, you'll see across the whole country, but the media aspect is uh, definitely top notch, at least up here. So, well, I guess I got to emphasize this, you know, I kind of feel bad that I feel like I'm mainly getting the spotlight because I shouldn't, you know, it's a team effort and we have an amazing team. Paul Arute is so open to different ideas and he's a, he's a creative mind himself that he likes to try things. He's not afraid to try things. And, you know, the guy who supervised the interns, Jeremy Wise, I mean, he helps lead this broadcast too. James Cloder, who's like the techiest person of the group who knows so much about all the different types of technological items we have. His knowledge is incredible and we wouldn't be able to do it without James because if there's anyone that can troubleshoot anything, him and Jeremy can do it. Um, you know, there's me directing. I got an awesome camera crew. You know, some of those guys have been around for a while. You know, Heather and Jason, who were married last year, um, they, they've been camera people at Stafford for several years. Heather was a camera person at Stafford back in the early 2000s. So they're incredible camera people. Ian's been around for a long time. He works the infield backstretch camera. Sean, you know, we have help from Ryan, who helped out a lot the last couple seasons. I mean, these guys, Nicole LaRose, who, I mean, the things that she has done for the short track community is incredible. I mean, the $10,000 sponsor raffle is insane. And the fact that a late mile driver in Waterford was able to win that is awesome. I mean, it's, it's a team effort. I wouldn't be able to do what I do without those guys. And we just feed off of each other. We work so well together. And so as much as I get the spotlight, or I feel like I get most of the spotlight compared to the rest of the crew, those guys deserve just as much the spotlight as I do. And I'll stand by that. I like that. It's almost almost too fitting of a way to... Very humble. Very humble person. Uh, Yeah, so, uh, I mean, I guess... Is there anything else that you want to either touch on or something that you want to, any projects that are in the works that we should know about for you? I'm taking a break from documentaries. I can tell you that much. Um, <laughs> Cause that was a lot of work. Um, you were talking about shop tours before we were recording this. I mean, we, at this moment, you know, a couple hours ago, we just posted a shop tour of Alex Pearl's place in Colchester. That type of stuff is cool. Seeing the different race shops that there are, it could be a, you know, a huge garage, 30 by 60. It could be a two-bay house garage, but they all work for each person, for each race team, stuff like that. One of the biggest things I tried that I want to try and do is I want to put a face to a name and have people get to know the drivers because the drivers, the racing is important, but the drivers mean just as much, arguably, if not more. The personalities matter, you know. You got to have the personality. You got to have the storylines. You got to have the racing. So we're trying different things. You know, we're, we're working on some profile type things with different drivers, trying to pe- get people to know them. The shop tours are a good way to have people kind of go behind the scenes of what goes on with these race teams and such. So we're trying different things. Um, race season's coming up quick. We're only three months away at this point. Um, we're going to start this thing called Sizzler Shorts. It's like short two-minute highlights of every spring sizzler from the 49th annual running in 2021 to the inaugural race in 1972 leading up to the 50th sizzler and i am hyped about the 50th sizzler i am so excited 
there was that part where the whole schedule conflict with NASCAR happened, which was a shit show, but that's not a thing anymore. And the 50th Sizzler, I'm so stoked for. I can't wait to see how many people, how many people come. I mean, $15,000 to win. Like, you want to talk about a big event? That's a big event, especially on the local level. You know, there's SRX on the national level. On the local level, this is huge. So that day can't come soon enough. But at the same time, it can wait because we still have some more preparation to do. Otherwise, you know, just keep doing what we're doing. Keep working on videos. And, you know, as Ben Dodge would say, work our magic. <laughs> well, man, I think that this has been a, a true pleasure. I think that you uh, you provide a good good insight into the back end of, uh, of a racetrack workings and, and, you know, how the things that we all enjoy and love are, are made, uh, for that. I think that we're all grateful. I think that we're all uh, very impressed. And I think that you just need to keep doing what you're doing. You're only a couple of years into it, but you've, uh, you've made a pretty big mark already. So, uh, I think on behalf of us, uh, just thank you, man. Appreciate it. I do want to say thank you guys, your podcast. I mean, it's hard to get a podcast in this almost like niche type of group to do well. You guys are doing pretty damn well. I don't watch podcasts. I've said that before. And I started hearing about BFP. And I'm like, okay, a lot of people are talking about this. I guess I'll take a look. I mean, you guys are so laid back. You're young. You know, you guys are young. So you got the younger demographic, which I think is huge. You know, you, everyone enjoys listening to you. You guys are real. You're authentic. I mean, it's so good. Some episodes are super serious. Some are super comical and some you are out of your damn minds. That's what makes it fun. So I give you guys a lot of credit. I commend you guys a ton because there's not really any other New England podcast in racing like you guys. And you guys have done a fantastic job. I mean it. I appreciate being on this podcast. It's an honor to be on this podcast. And I hope I didn't ramble too much during this time, but Keep up the good work. Keep doing what you're doing. I know your service is appreciated and a lot of people enjoy what you do. That means quite a lot, man. We appreciate that. There's a lot that goes into it. Um, you know, it, it's it, everything takes a village. So uh, you're part of that village and, and we appreciate you very much. And you can come back. Get you to Star Speedway, Bonzo. We got to get you up to Star Speedway. That, that place is my home. It's my track. I want to go, man. I just, I got I to gotta, I gotta deal with my car lease first. <laughs> no, adult, adult shit. We get that. Yeah. One of these, one of these days, we'll come and we'll pick you up. It's it's almost on the way if you if, if you do if it you, right. But no, no. <laughs> it'll be quite a car ride, I'm sure. Yeah, well, it'd be a lot of fun, and and you're welcome back on this podcast anytime because it was actually is this was good. This is good. I liked I like listening to your story, and now we know each other a lot better. So I'm sure that we'll have more stories from here on out. So well, I can't wait to see you guys at the track soon. Yeah, it's coming right up. We'll we'll see you soon, man. Appreciate you. Sounds good. Thank you. Race car, race car. Here we go, race car.